Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Well, we are in week four of a series that we uh, began the, the last Sunday of January called Whole Soul. And uh, if you have been with us over the scope of the time, you obviously know what we're talking about, but really the focus is answering the question, what does the soul need to be most healthy and whole? And so as we've been doing this, there's a lot of things that we have found. The first thing that we have found is that the soul is eternal in nature. Uh, it's eternal in nature. And uh, I believe it's Ecclesiastes song, uh, Solomon, the wisest person, Scripture says, to have ever lived, aside from Jesus, said that God has written eternity in the human heart. And I believe that that is what the soul is. The soul is the eternal thing inside of you that God has placed in every, in every single human being that constantly for the rest of your life will long to be reconnected to its eternal source. We see this in the lives of every single person. Amen. We see this in people that think they need a certain experience in life, they need a certain status in life, they need a certain level of success in life, they attain that, and it was not all that it was cracked up to be. Uh, people uh, go through life longing for the lottery ticket to be the solution to the longings of the soul, and they make, get millions of dollars and then they still come up short. It's because you cannot fill an eternal need with natural things. That's right. You have to go to the eternal thing that was the origin of that to get fulfilled. And so we found that the, the human soul is eternal in nature. The Greeks even said this, that it is that which continues to exist beyond the expiration of your life physically. And so as long as you're alive, your soul will long for God. Amen. The presence of God is oxygen to the soul. I don't know if you felt that this morning, but that's what I felt. The presence of God is oxygen for the human soul. Second thing we found is that God created the human soul for a unique environment. And we see that environment in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He created the soul to thrive in that environment. And so the more our own lives mirror or replicate the environment of Eden from a practical standpoint, the healthier and more whole our souls will be. So that's why we've been looking at Genesis 1 and 2. Because we've been seeing that there were things in the Garden of Eden that God, in his omniscience and his wisdom, placed there because he knew this is what the soul needs to be healthy and whole. And one of those things that we found is, was the presence of rest. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, our soul needs consistent margin in our lives for rest, relaxation, enjoyment, and peace. Now that should excite you. That should make you happy that we serve a God that is not all about you doing work and striving and taxing yourself and slaving yourself to death, but he actually designed the human soul to thrive in an environment where rest was present and it was part of the ongoing life of the human soul in that environment. Okay, God wants you to rest. I love this, this idea. I think it was Judah Smith that said this. He said, rest was the first thing that he gave the human soul because God is the first thing he gave the human soul. You cannot disconnect rest from God. God rested himself when he was done. 
And so rest is valuable. The second thing that we found in Genesis 2, 16 and 17 was the practice of restraint. Our souls need to be told no from time to time for the health and wholeness of our own soul. So what does that mean? Last week we talked about that. That means that we submit our souls to the boundaries of God's word, morally, ethically, practically, because God has placed those things in Scripture for the safety and and, uh, health of our souls. And here's the good news. In the times where we don't have any restraint at all, because how many of you have been there where the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? The Spirit is willing, but you just don't have the willpower to overcome something in your own capacity and in your own strength. What that reminds me of is my sophomore year of high school where I would hit the alarm to continue to delay the alarm over and over again. My spirit was willing, but I could not get out of bed to get to the bus. How many of you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) We were just like, I'm just delay, delay, delay. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You don't have the willpower to do it. In those places, God does not leave us to ourselves. But he breathes the Holy Spirit into the landscape of our soul to give us the self-control we need when we don't have any. That's what Galatians 5.22 says. The the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Isn't that crazy? That God does not leave us that way. And so when we don't have any restraint, he doesn't leave us stranded. He gives us the Holy Spirit. What is required of us for the Holy Spirit to give us the self-control that we don't have the ability in ourselves to control ourselves, it requires a surrender. It requires a submission. Listen, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and He can either lead you or sit on the sideline. And often, He sits on the sideline until you come to a point where you're so tired of trying to do it on your own, you finally surrender to him. And he's like, I'm glad you invited me into the game because I've been waiting for you to give me the access and permission to be the one that governs your soul because it's healthy when we are led by the Holy Spirit. And so today I want to hit the the, uh, fourth thing that we need The first one I did mention is that your soul needs to be constantly reconnected to God. Okay, God was in the garden. He did not leave the garden and say, come find me. The Bible says that he walked in the garden of the cool of the day. And I believe he was constantly, listen to me, I believe he was constantly walking to wherever Adam and Eve was. He was not hiding and saying, come seek me. That's not God's nature. God is a seeker of you. He is constantly pursuing you. And I believe in the environment of Eden, he was walking to wherever Adam and Eve was. How do I know that? Because when they messed it all up, he found them when they were hiding. And he said, where are you? That's kind of like when when I play hide and seek with my kids and I already know where they're at. He was like, where are you? He didn't say, what did you do? He said, where are you? Because before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. I already have a plan to provide something that will help us be continually in relationship. And so I'm not necessarily concerned about what you did. I'm concerned about where you are. Because the greater issue was this, 
that Adam and Eve felt the separation on their soul level from God because of the sin that was committed. God was not concerned about the, the sin as a decision. He was concerned about what the sin did to Adam and Eve's soul to make them feel so separated and distant from God. And so he comes close and he says, I want to let you know, I still want you. I still love you. And I'm going to actually create a sacrifice so that we can continue to be in connection. By the way, that sacrifice was because God is holy. He had to do it so that he would not violate his own nature. And so we need to be reconnected to God. But we're going to see the fourth one. We're actually going to go back one verse from last week because I kind of jumped ahead on purpose. But we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. As we do that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for every person that is here this morning. Lord, I pray that they would have already experienced the refreshing presence of God this morning. I pray that it revived the soul, that it refreshed the spirit, that it touched the mind. And God, I pray today, as we open up your word, that you would continue to unfold to us what our soul needs. And God, that we would embrace what your word has to say today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. God, in Genesis 2, 7, 8, God creates mankind, places him in the garden. The original environment, Genesis 2, 9, speaks to the rest, relaxation, enjoyment, and peace. Genesis 2, 16 and 17 talks about our soul's need for restraint. And then Genesis 2, 15 is the fourth thing that we need. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden, and this is it, to cultivate, say cultivate, cultivate. and keep it. Cultivate and keep it. What this speaks to is the fourth thing our soul needs, and that is our soul needs responsibility. Our soul needs responsibility. How many of you know that that is God giving Adam and Eve a legitimate responsibility. Being responsible to and for something and being responsible to and for someone is healthy for the soul. We need responsibility. God created the world. God created a garden. And then God put Adam and Eve into the only place where responsibility was required. He put him in this environment and said... You need to cultivate it, and you need to keep it. I think what's interesting about that is that what the garden would become, God was relying on Adam to do. Now, he was in the garden, but he said, you cultivate it, you till it, you maintain it, you preserve it, you keep it. What that speaks to in our lives is that God gives us giftings and abilities and capacity but ultimately, what our life becomes is highly dependent upon our ability to cultivate and keep it. He's not going to just jump in and do what he's asking you to do. We need responsibility. And he, so he says, I'm going to put you in this environment, and I'm going to give you responsibility here to show you that I'm actually relying on you to be a participant and to steward what I put on the inside of you to change the environment that you're in. 
God gives everyone ability to affect their environment. He gives you all the ability to do that. And this is what it was. What becomes of this garden is your responsibility. He created us. What that tells us is that he designed us from the beginning to bear responsibility. A 17th century commentary on the scripture says this. He says, paradise itself was not a place of exemption from work. We were, I love this, none of us brought into the world to be idle. He who has made these souls and bodies has given us something to work with. He who gave us being has given us business to serve him and our generation and to work out our salvation. He did not create us to be idle. He created us to do. We are human beings. Yes, we need to not define ourselves by what we do, but we also cannot neglect that God calls us to do something. There's a balance to it. We were not created to be idle. A couple of observations, once again, from Genesis chapter 2. Remember that Eden was paradise. So in paradise, there's work. We look at retirement as paradise, the absence of work. And yet in Genesis 2, we see in the pinnacle, premier environment that God in all of his wisdom he could have created for mankind to thrive in, there was a job. Isn't that interesting? Because what that tells us is that responsibility is good for your soul. We need to bear it, embrace it. This paradise was the pinnacle experience for the human being. And yet we see here responsibility was required. Humanity was not just going to be in paradise without cultivating and contributing to the paradise. I love uh, the homeschool um, curriculum that Allison uh, teaches our kids. It's called Classical Conversations, and it's basically a classical way of educating children. But one of the taglines for the homeschool curriculum is that God has not created you to consume but to create. If he created us to just exist, he would have created paradise and said, just eat it, just enjoy it. You don't have to do anything. No, 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 no. In his omniscience, he says, no, you're going to do something here. You're going to be responsible and you're going to cultivate. That's why from an early age, you need to teach your kids that jobs are good, that working is good. Paul echoes this same sentiment in the New Testament when he says, if a man doesn't work, he, should, he doesn't deserve to eat. And it wasn't, it wasn't I don't necessarily think he was, called, he was like confronting laziness. I just think he was saying, work is good for you. Work is good for your soul. You need to have purpose and meaning, and work is one of the ways that that happens. And so humanity was not going to be in paradise without contributing to the environment. When revival breaks out, Pastor Dwight, you actually have to have people that will maintain it. And what a lot of people do is they just chase revival where they don't have to do anything. Guess what happens? It fizzles out because everybody wants to consume it, but nobody wants to cultivate it. 
You have to have people that contribute to the revival. You have to have people that are on the team. And I love what Pastor Dwight said. We're a team here. So let's do that together. See, we see the evidence of of, uh, this here. That once again, Eden was paradise. But Eden wouldn't even accurately reflect heaven on earth without the presence of human beings bearing responsibility. How do I know that? Because in Revelation, we get a picture of what heaven is. Revelation 22.3 says this, No longer will there be any curse. That means that the sin is gone. Everything that contaminated work. By the way, the reason why we don't like work is because we don't like toil. Work is not the problem. Toil's the problem. There was work before there was sin, but what sin did in contaminating work was that it made it that it was the sweat of the brow. You were going to be slaving to it. You were going to be struggling. You're, it's going to be hard to cultivate the soil. So what we want to retire from is toil. It's not necessarily work. We just don't want to have to work as hard. How many of you are, you get that paycheck, you're like, man, I worked really hard. And it just doesn't seem like it's enough. That's called toil. But work was still present. A lot of people think that work was a consequence of sin. Nope. It was before. But the punishment and the consequence was, now work is going to be a lot harder for you. You're going to toil where you didn't even have to strive before. You're going to toil where you didn't even have to struggle. (laughs) Hey, by the way, if God creates an environment where the fruit is just springing up off the ground, the work is just pulling it off the tree. You ain't have to water it. There was water. It had had irrigation. Scripture, Genesis says that water came up from from the ground up. God, that was the original irrigation. Sprinkler system. The sovereign sprinkler. All they had to do was pull it off. Name the animals. Cut, prune a couple bushes. So what we want in retirement is we just want the toil to be over. But Revelation says in heaven there's still work. No longer will there be any curse. That means the toil is gone. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. By the way, that's the Greek word work. (laughs) So you're going to have a job and an assignment in heaven because God even knows in that spiritual realm, you still need responsibility. It's healthy for the soul. Even in heaven, there's responsibility to bear. God God could have created an an environment of peace, relaxation, and rest, but in the wisdom of God, he knew that wasn't enough. And here's why it's not enough. Because rest and responsibility actually work in harmony. Your rest loses its meaning when you don't work. It's always rest. And then familiarity breeds contempt. And it's not even restful anymore. Rest, they all work in harmony together. Rest gets its meaning from your responsibility. Responsibility is actually one of the ways that you restrain your soul. They all work in connection. And by the way, if you want to actually have the strength to carry out your responsibility, you better go to the source for your soul to get the strength to do it well. They all work in conjunction with each other. 
But rest loses its meaning without work. What makes rest healthier for your soul is because of the responsibility you bear in the work you've done. Work makes rest fulfilling. He knew that we were not supposed to just exist. By the way, this is often why the idea of retirement does not necessarily match the reality of retirement. What do I mean? We don't work just so that we can spend our days merely existing. Why do, people most, why do most people want to retire? Now, I want to retire. Okay, why do we want to do that? People often look forward to retiring because they want to get to a point in their lives where they no longer have to work. We want to get to a point where we can be freed from the burden of that long-term responsibility. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, but the truth is, is that often after retiring happens, what do people do? After a period of short-term rest, they start to look for work again or responsibilities for them to bear. Why is that? The people don't do that because work is all they know. That's not what it is. No, listen to me. They do that because God has hardwired humanity to live in a certain rhythm of life. And that rhythm is rest, restraint, responsibility, and reconnection to God. And if all you have is rest without responsibility, it loses its meaning and you start to long for responsibility again. That's why people retire and then they get a part-time job. Because they, because listen, rest by itself is not the purpose of why you are alive. Rest is a part, but it's not the whole. God did not design us just to rest. See, bearing or carrying responsibility is absolutely needed for the health of the soul. Why is that? Because the absence of it does not satisfy the soul. Judah Smith talked about this, and and I love this, this, this quote. He said, or this explanation, he said, We think a responsibility-free environment will make us happier. We assume that since work is hard but vacation is fun, work itself is the problem. Responsibility is an intruder. Jobs are the enemy. We work hard so that someday we can retire and finally start to do what we actually enjoy. But we were not designed to live out our lives eliminating as much responsibility as possible. Our souls find fulfillment, health, and life when we live beyond ourselves and responsibility is what creates that. We need assignments, we need work, and we need activity. There's two things that responsibility does for the health of the soul. Number one, I love this, bearing responsibility creates accountability. Bearing responsibility creates an accountability. One of the ways that your soul is restrained is through accountability that comes from responsibility. Here's what bearing responsibility does. This is how it creates accountability. Listen, responsibility puts a healthy demand on you that can draw out the best version of who you are. That's what responsibility does. When people are leaning on you, when people are depending on you, when people are relying on you, that naturally, organically places a responsibility on you that otherwise, if that responsibility wasn't there, it would not pull something or demand something. Responsibility creates accountability because it places a healthy demand on you. When you have a child and you're holding it in your arms, now I'm not to say 
that people don't buck that responsibility. But what I'm saying is that people run from certain responsibilities because of the fear of the demand that's already on them. I don't want responsibility. If you have people that are not around their kids' lives, they're running because they're afraid of the responsibility because there's been a demand put on them from that child being brought into the world. Who I am at 38 is not who I was at 23. Here's why. Because more responsibility was put upon my shoulders. And it created a demand for me either to rise to the responsibility or run from it. It created a demand that forced me to get to my soul's source, ask for strength and grace to be able to become the best version of who I can be so that I can meet the responsibility with excellence and integrity. Responsibility creates accountability. Responsibility puts a healthy demand on you. Your soul needs people that are relying, leaning, and depending on you. It's healthy. Now that can become unhealthy when you have people that are unhealthy, leaning, relying, and depending on you. But, organically, we need people to lean and depend and rely on us. We need people to need us. That can come, become unhealthy, but I'm saying at base level, you need people that are present, that are putting a demand on you to be accountable for them. We need that. The second thing is this is that bearing responsibility affirms that God created us with purpose. The ability to contribute something meaningful to our world is what purpose is. Purpose, responsibility, produces an understanding that we're not just existing, we're actually contributing something of value. Why Why do we get paychecks? Okay? In the natural sense, paychecks are just a way of, of telling you this, this is the, the value that your contribution has to a company. Okay, work, parenting, marriage, all these types of responsibilities that can be on our shoulders, they're all communicating that we have a purpose beyond existing. By the way, one of the reasons why depression and anxiety skyrocketed in COVID was because of unemployment. And when unemployment happened, people lost the sense of responsibility and were merely existing, and there weren't enough subscriptions on TV and shows to watch to escape the trauma that having no responsibility on your soul was was having. People were depressed and anxious because they lost one of the places that they were contributing because they did not have responsibility anymore. This is why it matters. God hardwired us to bear responsibility. Purpose is found in work. Purpose is found in serving others. By the way, if, you, if, your, if your work is not really fulfilling your purpose, find someone to serve. Find a place to serve. Purpose is not just found in work, but purpose is found in serving others. It's found in bearing responsibility because it gives us the opportunity to see God draw out of us things that we may not even know exists within us. It draws out dormant purpose. I never knew who I would be as a husband until I became, or be as a father until I had a kid. I never knew how I would be as a husband until 
I was married. <laughs> and it started to draw out things that were necessary to meet the demand. Not that Allison's demanding, but the position carries a certain weight of responsibility. And if I'm going to meet the weight of that responsibility, I need to get back to my soul source to get the strength to execute it well. It all works together. So in the garden, cultivating and keeping the garden wasn't the only responsibility that God gave mankind. We actually see multiple things. So there's four responsibilities in the garden that are healthy for the soul. And by the way, the responsibilities, we could talk about a whole lot of responsibilities, but there are responsibilities we give ourselves, and then we see in the garden that there were responsibilities that God gave humanity. And so whether it's a responsibility you've given yourself or the responsibility that God has given you, nevertheless, these are responsibilities that are healthy for your soul. The first one that we see is in Genesis 1.26. There are responsibilities that we take on and then responsibilities that God created and gifted humanity to uh, do in the garden. And number one in Genesis 1.26, it was exercising dominion. Exercising dominion. Those, are, those two words together in popular culture, there's little to no understanding of what that means. Let me kind of explain what exercising dominion is. God said, make man in our image and then let them have dominion in the earth, over all the earth. How many of you know that the natural universe came out of the spiritual realm? God is spirit. So the natural, what we see tangibly in creation, that did not come from another natural place. That came from the spiritual realm into the natural. Okay? That's why a lot of what heaven will be like is what we see here. I, thought, I got that from Miss Millie. I said, what will be heaven, heaven will be like? She was like, it's probably going to be a lot like this. Because that's where this world came from. It came from the spiritual realm, and then we see it as the natural. So what is exercising dominion about? Exercising dominion is, is using God-given spiritual authority to bring the spiritual again into the natural. Amen. That's what it's about. What do we, how do we do this? We do this through prayer. We do this through intercession. We do this through fasting. We do this by taking the promises of God and making declarations about those. All of these as acts of faith that God honors to bring the spiritual once again into the natural. But that's why what Betty gave Pastor Dwight was valuable. Everything that, that they receive in the prayer room is of value to, to letting you all know about because it could apply to you. So it's not just about uh, here's something that God gives Betty or the team when they're praying, and we're just saying it so that we can just pat her on the back and say, good job. We're doing it because we believe that she heard that from God and that spiritual word is not a natural word. It has spiritual implications in the natural world. And so we say it, and we respond to it, and we give people the opportunity to receive prayer, and we, we, we take steps of faith into that because we believe that exercising dominion is taking what is in the spiritual realm and bringing it into the natural realm. That's what exercising dominion is all about. And by the way, he, this was the mandate that God put on humanity. Exercise dominion over all of the earth. 
Okay? Second one is this. Reproducing the image of God. That's Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply. That's reproducing the image. That's having kids. Having kids is a God-given responsibility. Now, not everybody has kids. I understand that. But in his wisdom, this was another responsibility he was calling humanity to bear. We are all here. I don't know if you know this, but we're all here because someone had you. Someone was bearing the responsibility. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill and subdue the earth. And so the, the, the act of having kids and parenting is a, resp- it's a God-given responsibility. Having kids and raising them to be godly, responsible adults is a God-given responsibility. If you're a mother and a father in the room and you still have kids in your home, do not underestimate the value of executing that responsibility well. It's God-given. He put it upon you. I think a lot of times, and we'll get to this in a moment, but every, often every responsibility that's God-given at some point becomes detrimental to our soul when we begin to see it as an obligation. Oh, my gosh. These kids need to go somewhere. I'll never forget one time. You know how, like, you ever, you, you, like, give your kids a timeout and you send them to your room? I sent Gideon straight up out of the house. I'm not lying. He was looking through the window. And me and Allison just like, nope, you're not allowed in. Time's not up. You can have a timeout in your room, but I timed you literally out of the building, out of the house. You have been annexed from this facility for a little bit. But we can see all of these things that are actually healthy responsibility, God-given responsibilities as obligations. And then we start to hate the responsibility. Okay? I, I get it. Even if you don't have kids in your house, you got adult kids. You're like, my God, how are you still, why are you still the way that you are? How did this happen? That was your father, not me. That's all your dad. I mean, we can start to not love these responsibilities and see them as obligations. But yet we still see that God gave us the responsibility. That's why I think Scripture says that children are a reward from God. Why? Because he knew that the responsibility would be good for your soul. That it would draw the best version out of you if you would yield to the responsibility as a God-given thing. It would draw the best version of who you are. And I can tell you that from the testimony of having a child 10 years old, about to be 11 in a month, this last 11 years has been a purging of the selfish things inside of me. And it would not have happened unless I had the responsibility. That's That's why it's good for your soul. God gives you responsibility to deal with the selfishness inside of you. Third thing we see is this. Genesis 2.24, two becoming one flesh. Marriage is a responsibility. 
Once again, people, not everybody gets married. I get that. But marriage in and of itself, the, the idea of marriage is a responsibility that God placed upon humanity. He said, two become one flesh. Becoming one flesh is mirroring the unity of God in a unified marriage. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he says, I want you two to become one. I want you to mirror the same unity that I have within my own nature in your marriage. Now, what's amazing about the word one flesh here in the Hebrew, it's the word basar, which means this, to preach good news of God. Look that up. I didn't make that up. What does that mean? That before Jesus ever came, a unified marriage was going to preach the good news of who God was. That also means that your marriage will more than likely outpreach your mouth every time. It will. If people don't see the healthy relationship, it doesn't matter how much you're spitfiring about the gospel. He called the marriage to mirror the unity of God. And when people saw two people becoming one flesh, working in unity and harmony, people would say, how in the world are you like that? God brought us together. The unity of God. Marriage is another responsibility. Some of you are like, I'm not going to say it out loud, but sometimes marriage is an obligation. Do I have to tolerate this person? Nobody says that. That's the selfish part of every person. But it's a responsibility of God. Fourth one was this, cultivating and keeping. Genesis 2.15 speaks of the responsibility of work, of contributing a meaningful service to society, of working, earning, producing, and providing. So what's the point of these four things? The point is this, is that God created humanity to bear multiple responsibilities because he knew that the purpose created through those responsibilities would be healthy for your soul. Here's what I want, where I want to close. It's one thing to know and bear these responsibilities. But what do you do when these responsibilities seem detrimental to the health of your soul? What do you do when you just look at marriage or parenting or work or coming to church and growing in your relationship with Jesus and exercising your faith? What, what do you do when, you, when these things become or feel like obligations? How do you, how do you fix that? How do, you, how do you change that? Uh, why does it seem like these responsibilities can make your soul sicker rather than healthier? What do you do when you get, here's a question for, for a lot of the moms and maybe the dads, what do you do when you get weary and tired of bearing the responsibilities? And the last thing that you feel when you bear them is fulfillment. It's interesting I've been having this conversation, I think I had this conversation with Grant, but I've come to this understanding of why parents and teenagers kind of grow apart in their teen years. And this is maybe just my opinion, I feel like it's a revelation. I think what happens is this, 
you long for so long for your kids to become independent? You long for the day where they're not pulling on you for drink, food, I'm going to say this on the podcast, wiping the butt. (laughs) Can't wait for the day that they put themselves to bed, that you take a breather, you get some margin, and you're excited about their own independence. And naturally, organically, there becomes this distance in the house because you've gotten acclimated to a new reality where they're not as dependent upon you anymore and you kind of like it. And then what happens over time is rather than having a father, son, mom, daughter, et cetera, et cetera, you become roommates. And I've realized that I'm now at a point where Gideon is becoming more independent. But in order for us to maintain relationship, I have to become more intentional to pursue him in his independence. The responsibility is not over, it's just shifted. We have to understand the responsibilities that God gives us. But what do we do when these responsibilities seem like they are making our souls sicker? Here's two answers. They seem to make our souls sicker when we are not reconnecting our souls to the source to receive daily strength. Let me just tell you, I was a, before I was in youth ministry, I was a third grade teacher for 30 crazy kids. I almost said another word. Crazy kids in a charter school. If you know anything about certain charter schools, sometimes they become the place where the kids who got kicked out of public school end up going and they end up in your classroom. And it was one of the most stressful, strenuous, hard environments because you're not just teaching. My God, you're parenting. You're parenting 30 teenagers in a class or 30 kids in a classroom that maybe come from environments where there's little to no structure. They don't really care about being there. They're just there, really, because their parents just want daycare. And I remember, this is where I had to go for the health of my soul. I would come to school 45 minutes early, and I'd put some worship music on, and I would be laying hands on every chair. I'd be praying in the Spirit. I would be building myself up and strengthening myself in the Lord, not because I was being super spiritual, but my soul needed to be reconnected to its source for strength to get through that day. When responsibility becomes more like obligation and starts to feel like it's making our soul sicker, it's just because we have not gone back to our soul source to get the strength to execute it well. We need to be constantly reconnecting. The second one is this. Uh, Let me just say this. We need the grace of God to bear the responsibilities. John 15, 5. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need the grace. The second reason why these things make us sick, or seem to, is because we disconnect our responsibilities from who we are actually supposed to do them for. When the responsibilities in the garden lose their meaning is when we do not see them as they really are. And how do we see them? We see them from the original meaning of the word cultivate in Genesis 2.15. 
It's two words that are actually used interchangeably. And throughout the Old Testament, these two words are literally worked together in every context. The word cultivate here in Genesis 2.15 means two things. The first is this, work, and the second is worship. Work and worship. Listen, our responsibilities are not meant to be burdens. Our responsibilities are opportunities that God has placed in our lives to worship Him through our work. The responsibilities of the garden are actually just acts of worship unto the Lord. Listen, your job performance is not just so your boss can give you a raise and keep you on. Your marriage is not just about keeping your husband happy and your wife happy. Your parenting is not just about raising kids and sending them into the world at 18. No, God designed humanity to bear these responsibilities because when you perform them well, they are actually acts of worship to Him. When you love your wife as Christ loved the church, it's worship to God. When you train your child in the way they should go and they will not stray from it, it's worship to God. When you do your job, not just so your boss, just for your boss, but according to Colossians 3.17 and 1 Corinthians 10.31, that says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, then your work becomes an act of worship. That's what these responsibilities were. Carrying them out. executing them is actually worship to the Lord. So when you're in the middle of the night and your 10-year-old wants to sleep on your bed and you're on the edge and it's right on your spine for four hours. That was me two nights ago. Laying on the edge of my bed with my spine riding the edge was worship to the Lord. You don't think it is. But I think the problem, that's the problem. We have compartmentalized worship. Not realizing that our whole life is worship. When you engage with your kids and you're patient and you look them in the eye and you encourage them, you edify them, you love them, you take them out on date nights, you do spending time with your family is worship to God. He is not, he is not, he does not have this hierarchy of what ministry is supposed to look like, as if parenting is inferior to preaching. I hope you get that. As if family time is inferior to fasting. In his eye, he's not going to just say, well done, good and faithful servant, to your hierarchy and your priorities of what you think ministry is. He's going to say it to the whole. He's going to say it to the way that you've loved your wife and you've loved your husband. All of it is worship to him. Work and worship. The way that you practice integrity and excellence in your job is worship to God. When you don't exaggerate and manipulate numbers to make yourself look better in your performance, that's not worship to the Lord. Your integrity, being a person of character in your job, showing up on time, is worship to the Lord. 
Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's all worship because when you're doing it unto him, that's what it is. And when our, our responsibilities become obligations is when we forget who we're actually supposed to be doing those things for in the first place. We're not doing them for the person we can see. We're doing them for an audience of one. Because the way that I come down that hill and I do what I'm doing here in this building is worship to the Lord. It's not because of accountability for Pastor Dwight, Pastor Betty, and Pastor Rick and the entire staff. It's because I'm either doing it for him or I'm not doing it. It's all worship. The way that you take care of the people in your lives that you feel obligated to now. You did not ask God to give you, and yet they're still in your lives. Is this real? It's worship to God. It is. All of it is worship. And it's all healthiest, the responsibilities we bear are healthiest when we realize who we're actually supposed to be doing them for in the first place. It's not for my kids. My kids will benefit from me parenting them for God's glory. My wife will benefit from me being her husband for God's glory, for laying down my life for my wife. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Executing these responsibilities, and here's where I close, as a way of worshiping God, are as spiritual as when you lift your hands and sing. There was a story that I, I probably shared before. If you've been around for a while, you've probably heard it before, but this is one of my favorite stories. There's a worship leader. Her, her name is Jen Johnson, and she's written a lot of songs for a, song, a church called Bethel Church, and her husband is, I think, the worship pastor there. And she's a, she's a mom, and she's got young kids, and there was the season of her life where she was a mom, and there was just a lot of like obligation and a lot of demand. And here she has these feeling, this gifting and calling to lead worship, but then she's tending to young kids, and she's a, she's a wife, and she's got all these responsibilities, all these duties, and it was overwhelming. And so she's heading to this conference with her father-in-law, who happens to be the pastor at Bethel Church, I think it's Bill Johnson. And they were in the car together, and she jumps into the back seat, and she has this moment, and she's like, all flustered. She's like, okay. Mom face off, worship face on. And Bill leans over the seat and he goes, that's actually your problem. Everything you do, Jen, is worship. You not just being on the stage is worship. But you parenting your kids is worship. This thing is a lifestyle, not a seat on Sunday morning for 30 minutes. And he said that the reason why you're struggling with your parenting is because you actually haven't seen that as a place to give God glory. Everything in our lives can be done unto him to glorify him. Martin, or, uh, Martin Luther said this, founder of the Protestant Reformation. Here's where I close for the second time. The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested 
and good craftsmanship. The whole point is this, is that God is interested in the attitude by which you are doing everything in your life. So when your responsibilities become obligations, it's because you've lost sight that it's not just a responsibility. It's actually worship to God when you walk and embrace it. Will you stand with me? Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whoever you grandparent, do it all for the glory of God. Whoever is your neighbor, serve them for the glory of God. Whoever is in your social sphere, love them for the glory of God. It's all worship when it's done as an act of obedience to say, this is my responsibility and I'm willing to honor Jesus in the way that I do this. If you're in the room and you have been looking at your responsibilities and saying, my God, I just can't wait for the day where I don't have to do this anymore. And you've been struggling. I want to pray for you because I want, I really want God to help you get a transformation of your mind here. That it's actually a place and an opportunity to worship Him. So if you're here this morning and you would just say, man, I have had an unhealthy thought process about the responsibility in my life. Will you just slip your hand up? Awesome. Thank you, Lord. There are times, listen, there are times where worship is easy and then there are sacrifices of praise. And I'm just telling you, it's not going to be easy to embrace the responsibility. There may be times where it's the laying down of yourself so that God would be glorified in it. And so, just keep your hand up. Let's surround these people right now. Just find someone that's got a hand up. Let's just pray. Keep your hand up real high so that people can see you. Jesus, we pray, God over every single person in this room. Lord Jesus, that has seen their responsibilities and said, God, I hate it. I'm worn out. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I wish I didn't have it. But for whatever reason, it's in my life. God, I pray that you would really give them a new insight, a new understanding, a new perspective, about what you actually want from them as they bear the responsibility. And God, I pray that from this point on, we would see every person go on a journey where responsibility is not a burden, but a blessing. That responsibility becomes something that they see as healthy for their soul. That they, the thing they hated, they would now love. And God, I pray that it would not be 
because it's about their own performance, it's about their own working, it's about their own striving. But Father, I pray, Matthew eleven twenty nine that they would come to you. They would yoke themselves to you in every place of responsibility that they have and that they would walk it out connected to you, yoked to you, joined to you. As you said in John 15, apart from you, you can, we can do nothing. And God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that there would be a healthy sense of being joined to you, of co-laboring in these areas of responsibility that have seemed so detrimental to their soul. I pray there would be redemption. And God, I pray, Father, in every place that they have not gotten praise, in every place that they have not heard well done, and they have not heard thank you, they have not heard I appreciate your service, God, I pray that there would be affirmation this morning, that you would speak well done, you would speak thank you, you would speak well done, you are working well, you have integrity and you have character, that they would speak the, the, the words of a father that say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the way you're stepping up in your parenting. I'm proud of the way you're stepping up in your work. I'm proud of the way that you're stepping up in your marriage. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you. Thank you. This is to somebody. Thank you for taking ownership of a responsibility in a place that everyone else has abandoned. Thank you. This is God speaking. Thank you. Because you are doing work to the least of these. Whatever you do to the least of these, you are doing to me. The shut-ins, the orphans, the widows, whoever it may be. And he says, they are significant to me. And when you serve them, it is an act of worship and adoration. It is giving me a fragrant offering from you. Thank you. Give us grace today, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Next week is our Invite Sunday. If you are a visitor this morning, please come and see me. If you have any questions, I'd love to answer them. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.